Beacon arrives in the salt swept port of Vigil with a job to do. Tasked with using the magic in her blood to keep the lighthouse burning, she needs to prove herself worthy of her family name and her ancestors' profession. But the coastline Arden must keep alight, battered by a teeming a sea teeming with colossal ancient beasts, is far from the cultured urban world she knows. It is a place of secrets, rumours and tight-lipped expectations of a woman's place. More than anyone, the town folk whisper about Arden's neighbour, Jonah Riven, the hunter of Leviathans. They say he murdered his wife. They say he is as much as as much a monster as his prey. Amidst all her determination and homesickness, Arden cannot get this shadowy stranger out of her head. A plot swirls around the lighthouse keeper, the hunter, and the authorities. Arden must make sense of these dark waters before they wash her away. Hello and welcome to Galactic Chat. I'm Helen Stubbs and today I'm interviewing Australian author Claire McKenna, known for her for strange romance, dark SF and epic fantasy. This is an especially exciting interview because Claire is on the cusp of international authorhood with her book soon to be released internationally. Claire is a science fiction and fantasy writer from Melbourne, Australia, who's been writing and publishing in the science fiction and fantasy scene since the 1990s. She's a Clarion South alumni, has been a finalist in Aurealis and Dipmar Awards, and she's a regular contributor to Australian speculative fiction anthologies. In April 2020, the first book of her trilogy will be released by Harper Voyager. This book is called Monstrous Heart. Monstrous Heart has been described as gothic epic romantic fantasy at its very best, a tale of magic, intrigue and romance on dangerous waters. It's currently available for pre-order online. It has great characters, blood, science, magic, distant airships, awesome ships, krakens, plesiosaurs. Claire is a brilliant writer who pens rich and vivid prose that tickles your brain in all the right places. So, Claire, welcome to Galactic Chat. Oh, hello, Helen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> well, um, we're just uh, trying to overcome the uh, tyranny of distance at the moment because um, I'm down here in Melbourne and you're up in Brisbane. Yeah. And we have um, very old laptops in between us. Mm-hmm. I think, yes, I think mine's a genuine antique. And we're using Skype, which is somewhat old-fashioned. It is, yes. So we're, we're very old-fashioned today. And we're, we're, tra- we're time-travelling as well. We are indeed, yes, because I'm speaking from half an hour in the future, okay. or an hour in the future, I think. It's now um, it's now ten nineteen for me, and it's I think nine eighteen for me. This is How about that? Well, right? it's it's the, um, it's a bit wet and cold uh, in the um the future, so I wouldn't recommend it. Is it? Oh, it's beautiful out yeah. here. Oh, oh dear, I should come back. Stay in the nine o'clocks for um for the rest of the day, if possible. I think it, yes, yes, that'd be great. <laughs> All so, right. Alrighty, so. When is the launch date of Monstrous Heart and what will be happening? Okay. Well, it looks like we're um, the book comes out in March the 30th. March the 30th? Yeah, but um, I'll be doing a launch probably at um, one of the local bookshops here um, the week after that. And um, I'm hoping to get Jack Dan to do... Are we thinking, um, so city, Melbourne City? Is that where it's Oh, we're thinking about Frankston because I live down Frankston? the coast. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, we, uh, I think the um, the publisher actually tries to get the, uh, the the bookshop that's closest to where you live. 
Great. And also, and also because it's quite a large bookshop, so sometimes the suburban ones quite tend to miss out a fair bit. Right. A shame. Yeah. So if people want to come along to, to that, how do they – should they follow your Facebook to get more yes. info? Yes, follow Facebook if you can get a hold or of them. Twitter, I've got Twitter there. If you go to my website at yep. clairemckenna.net, um, it should have everything there. So um, awesome. Twitter's probably easy, easier because uh, it's not as hard to get onto. I try to lock some of my Facebook posts. Twitter's great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool, and you think Jack Dan might be your... I well, have asked him, and he said, stand by, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so hopefully he does, because he does everyone. So I thought, okay, well, it's my turn now. He can do mine. And has he been your, like, teacher and mentor as well? He or has been. Look, I've yeah. been, um, you know, uh, involved in working with Jack for uh, a long time now, probably since before Clarion. I think we knew each other then. Yeah. And um, he's uh, quite uh, interesting because he's um, one of the one, the few people, the writers here, who have the direct links to that golden age, you know, Isaac Asimov and Harlan Ellison. And he was friends with all these guys. So, you know, he comes in and he's got all the tales. Wow. And so he's come, yeah, so he comes back there. So he was quite, you know, early on, I think um, about 20 years ago when he, you know, when he was in a, came to Australia, I yeah. think he was very much, um, you know, um, a bit of a celebrity because uh, back then it was very hard to get um, really into the American market. Yeah. Or involved. And now, of course, you know, the internet makes it so much easier. You don't, yeah. Nothing's, yeah. But Jack Dan, being American, obviously yeah. had that connection. And how old is he? I think he's nearly, I wouldn't guess, I think nearly 70, I think. Right, right. So he yeah, was well, sort of a young man when they were older. like those. Yeah, well, I've seen pictures of him. There's a picture of him and Isaac Asimov. He's not um, a vampire, the same is he? Room, In the same room. And I'm thinking, oh, well, there you go. So, yeah, I think he was young. He was young in the 60s and 70s. So. And maybe he's a vampire too. Yes, yes, possibly is. Just, um, what's the word for living forever? Immortal? Yes, yes, he probably is. The one, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think he'd mind us talking about him this way, would he? I don't know. No, no, he loves being talked about. But He's instead of Jack, yes. let's talk about Arden Beacon instead. Um, right, oh, yes. So I've seen her compared to Jane Eyre by Morganic yes. Books. And I think it's a fitting comparison. She has that elegant, independent, classical, Bronte sort of heroine feel, but she's in a, a darker and more liberated, can I say blood punk or marine yeah, punk? I could. I, yeah, you probably could. Yeah. I think that it's pretty, the, the era is pretty much beyond steampunk. I think steampunk was probably a little bit earlier. Yeah. And, um, it feels, think, yeah, just once mm, removed from steampunk and but, yeah. yeah, group darker, more... And not quite diesel yet. I think she's probably on the cusp of diesel punk, I think. Right. Um, well, look, I, I started the book because, you know, I was thinking, I was wondering what to um, to write about and I was, I'd been through um, When did you start sort of, it? Can I just – I started it very – I started it in 2007 – no, 2017. Right. Because oh, I'd been going through a long um, editing – yeah, it was pretty fast. I wrote it in about five months. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't one that I said lingered on forever. Yeah. And yeah, and I'd been writing a um, uh, a book, and I've been working with another agent on it for about um, let's have a look, for nearly a year and a half. And uh, it was one of those Gone Girl type uh, 
uh, you know, mystery type books. Yeah. And um, look, I I thought to myself, I really don't want to be writing in this genre. I didn't really like it. Did and it have specific elements or not? No, no, no it didn't. And I wanted the specific elements, but they weren't yeah. really working. And my my agent at the time, they all specialised, and of course, she wasn't a special. Uh, she wasn't a specific agent. Right. So um, so we parted ways, you know, nicely. And then yeah. um, I decided to sit down, and um, I thought, look, I just really want to do something that's a bit palate cleansing, I guess. Yeah. And um, so, and one of the tropiest, uh, you know, fantasy fiction, gothic fantasy fiction was, is the, you know, the the woman alone in the lighthouse and the strange guy who lives down the, he lives down the, the, the promontory and yeah. the sea. And I thought, oh, look, that'd be a fun thing to write. So I wrote that and she wrote it quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, then, um, which has its good and bad sides. And I mean, on the good side, you know, you can get it over and done with very quickly. And on the bad side, probably what it means is that you end up... T- you end up kind of editing in real time with um, people watching because I, I wrote it and as soon as I wrote it, I didn't. it was almost like first draft when I um, got an agent for it and it was sold. And so um, then it, it took a, a fair bit of time to actually um, – and not, not, yeah, not so much in, in – um, uh, structurally, because it was all together, I think that the, the beginning might have changed uh, about three or four times. Right. But I think um, in terms of I kept on going, oh, look, I'm spotting this thing here doesn't work. And um, you'd uh, you'd spot uh, continuity errors. You said, oh, look, they're doing this. And then the next page, they're doing that. And so that's one of the things that comes up if, it come, if you write something too quickly is that right. you get so swept away by the story, you don't forget that they're, um, you know, on the other side of the room with two different people. Yeah, and but were your agent and that giving you feedback on that sort of stuff to improve um, well, it? Or? Yeah, initially it was, but um, uh, it, I didn't um get as much as I did for the the previous agent I worked with with this other book that I worked on. Um, yeah. it was so much feedback that uh, very hands on. Yeah, and I didn't like that. Yeah, um, I found that when it was hands on, the whole thing fell apart. So these ones have been a very light touch. Any sort of yeah. changes were um. Basically precipitated by me, I basically said, "Look, I need this change and that change." Um, yeah. There was there wasn't much with my agent and my editor were really going. You must change this. Right. Um, there were mostly little sort of oh, continuity things, or can you just explain this a bit better? And, well, that um, sounds good. I mean, yeah. you don't want them making major changes, do you? Like, yeah, yeah. Look, don't you sometimes love it story? Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and so like so, so then I wrote it. And I wrote I wrote this uh, book. Um, you know, a complete gothic kind of fantasy, and um, I enjoyed writing it. And so then it kind of came out. It had a different title, obviously, titles and blurbs and everything. That's the uh, that's for the, the publisher to choose. Well, so, can I ask what the title was or not? Um, the title initially, I couldn't work out what I was going to call it, so I initially um, uh, sold it as um, The Fire Above. No, hang on, The Sea Above, The Fire Below. Or the fire below, at least. But then I thought, well, that's actually a Steven Seagal movie, so oh. I, can't actually, I can't actually do it. And um, they, they said, look, you know, we'll come back to you with a title. Yeah. And so they said, oh, look, there we all thought we could call them Monstrous Heart. Yeah. And um, as in these things, you know, when they when they come back and they said, we've all thought we're going to do this, um, you don't have much of a say. You say, yeah. yes, sir. But I guess it's a title with broad appeal and, you know, they're strong words. Um, they are, and- yes. And yeah. yeah, I mean, you can, you can tell with, uh, I think one of the things I've noticed we can tell between um, traditional publication and, and self-published, uh, traditionally published, they, they have this very sort of um, limited scope of words that they use, So you can, yeah. whereas self-published books, you know, they have this 
though this wildlife's a fantasy with words, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And you're going, oh, that's a bit weird. What does that mean? Yeah. And uh, whereas uh, I think with traditionally published, they go, right, this is the word. Yeah. Um, this is what it means. And that's is, exactly what it is. And it gets you wondering straight away, I think, like, who who is the monstrous heart? Like, is it, yeah, yeah. Um, is it Arden? Is it Jonah? Is it something else? Yeah, and I think um, uh, it's such a, an interestingly uh, connection to, I think there's old um, uh, Dickens, you know, 1890s um, sort of era where everything was, you know, the telltale heart, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's yeah. probably a uh, throwback to that as well. Yeah. And the cover, I mean, it lends itself to beautiful cover art too. Oh, like yes, the, yes. The Kraken cover well hearts. yeah i mean there was another one that they they said oh we're going to give you the cover and here's the cover and i said and look there were there were places where i sort of um oh i was going okay the cockle shell was a bit um uh is that the road the camino which is a very kind of famous um walking track. uh walking track yeah in the yeah. in spain i think portugal yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, somewhere like that. And I said, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, I didn't want anyone to be too sort of uh, thinking, oh, it's about that. But um, I did like the story behind it where, you know, they had the saint, um, they found the saint and he was just covered in cockle shells. Right. Uh, that was, that's why they have a cockle shell for that, you know, oh. particular one. Yeah. Interesting. So I said, okay, that could, that could do, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so that's what it is. I mean, the, the, the idea started off simply enough and then um, I kind of um, – yeah, obviously you had to pad it with a bit more um, with the fantasy uh, blood punk basically because obviously with fantasy, especially if you're going to spread it into three books, you really have to have um, a lot more going for it than just um, you know two people having a relationship. Yeah, because it isn't it isn't primarily a romance. I mean, obviously they're selling it as that, but it's it's more I think probably fantasy and maybe light horror. I yeah. would say. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Very fantasy yeah, yeah. and. Um horror and, and yeah. sort of a punky feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, just, um, I mean, you, it's hard because I, I don't quite know how you would do punky feels, but if, if that's a punky feel, I said, okay, then. Or like, oh, yeah, like that. related to steampunk, but just darker and, I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe. People just have to read it and find yeah. it. Yeah. Actually, themselves. I have to say, I have to agree with you there. I think one of the funny things was that um, a lot of books now, they have what they call um, comparison titles. Yeah. Read. You say, oh, this book is like X and Y. And you say, oh, yeah, you know, it's like Anne of Green Gables meets Alien or whatever. And um, so, unfortunately, I think it's it's one of those books where, you know, I had a it's really interesting idea. But no, but I couldn't really find anything that suited it. And, of course, yeah. the two comparison titles they've used here, well, that my, my publisher have used, is um, Outlander, which is obviously that, um, that famous uh, Scottish one where she goes back in time and, and yeah. meets a Scottish Scottish lad, yeah, and the binding, which is I'm not quite sure. I've, I've actually bought it, but I'm a bit scared to read it. But I've got a fun feeling it's a, it's a bit of a love story um, yeah. about books, and it's a little bit magical. And um, it's think, um, it's obviously um, a queer love story. Yeah, someone's compared it a little to Jacqueline Carey's writing, and I can yeah. see that maybe. A little, oh, look, like, that'd be love. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I met her after I I wrote this, and because um I really and I thought oh I really enjoyed this um because. Yeah. Um, it's it's very because uh, I didn't want to sort of be a bit sort of uh, how would you say it as soon as something um, intimate happened suddenly we go to the next page and the new chapter and yeah. then the light went out yeah. 
So I thought, no, if I'm going to, if you're going to write about violence, if you're going to write about anything, you've got to, you know, bring um, human intimacy in that as well. You can't yeah, be, you can't choose, you can't pick and choose really. If you're going to be a bit, look, I can't really write this. You'd have to really examine, I think, why you can't write a certain, you know, yeah. certain thing. I mean, some yeah. people can't write violence because they've they've had it so much in their life that they can't, you know, approach it in text. Yeah. Which is really interesting. But, yeah. I mean, you've got the violence and you've got the blood, so I think you've got, mate, yeah, you've got to have the sex too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a I bit of a great way to put it. <laughs> um, okay, let, let's talk about the Kraken skin coat. Um so um, I'm going to read an excerpt from when it first comes in. Like I'm just really captivated by this this coat, and which is interesting. I think I see it in my head differently to to how it's described, but that's my I can do that as a reader. So anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. Um, this is when she first finds the coat. She's escaped briefly from the sleazy Mr. Justinian. <laughs> Mr. Justinian, he's such a creep. He is a creep. Okay, um, okay so. The bronze flash caught her by surprise, stopped at once the bleak train of her thoughts. What imagination was that, her seeing such a thing in all these stained linens and thistle cottons? Arden dug in deep and disinterred her find, an odd, slightly sheened garment, out from the knot of unwashed rags. She raised to the day a thing that in her hands made no sense. A coat, a stout, utilitarian coat, cut for a female worker of hard ocean climes. Not too long in the hem, though. No loose fabric to foul a hurried journey up stone steps in a high storm. A thing rightly made of canvas and felted wool worn on a body until it fell to pieces. But the fabric... Arden had to rub the collar with her fingers, make certain her earlier fall was not causing her to see wonders. There was only one creature alive that could supply such a hide, leather as bright as an idol's polished head and with a crust of luminescent cobalt blue rings across the arms and yoke, subtle grading to black when it hit the light just so. She turned the coat around and caught her breath. She had not expected the fabled Kraken crucifix, the terrifying pattern of a sea monster's crest. By all the devils of blood and sky, you'd have found its likeness only in a gen prince's wardrobe in Timbuktu, not a filthy rag pile at the edge of the world, and yet here it was, hidden away, with thrice-mended broadcloth trousers and sweaters that were more knots than knits. So she's found this amazing um, garment that would usually be worn by, um, like, kings and things. Yeah, it and- is. Um, like, yeah, there's so much about this coat. So can you talk, talk, tell us a bit about the coat and, and I guess, uh, it also leads into like the, the intimacy of the experience with the massive marine creatures, like the plesiosaurs and things. So, yes, um, well, um, I initially had it because I needed, um, something symbolic that would, um, obviously link her with, um, uh, obviously Bellis. Bellis is, um, another character, female character who's obviously missing and presumed dead. Yeah. Oh dear, we don't know what's happened with her. So, um, in in a bit of a way, it's a bit of a MacGuffin, as they call them, in um, you know, uh, a MacGuffin. Yeah, a MacGuffin. Well, you have to um, explain that to me because I don't well, know um, what you're talking about. A MacGuffin is um, 
Well, MacGuffin is a kind of a, it's in a storytelling. It's mostly, mostly in fantasy and science fiction yeah. where you have this object and it's always like the amulet or the, the one ring. Right. And it's such it's, it's a thing that basically, um, and I think everyone's got a, 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 a different way of explaining it, but for, for me it's just basically this thing that you can really kind of wrap the story around. It doesn't yeah. really have to have any serious meaning to it. I mean, it does have to in, in text, it does, but um, it's usually used to really um, push the story and push the story forward. So right. it's a MacGuffin. And- and all I think the characters I, have a relationship to it. It's almost like a character in its own right, doesn't it? it yeah, has its own yeah. And, and I'm going to actually look up MacGuffin, so if you just want to say two seconds. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I think your explanation of it is, is really um, uh, Thank you, yeah. yeah. An object or a device in a film or book which serves merely as a trigger for the plot. Right. So, yeah. So um, I thought, well, he needed something, and I thought the coat was good because then it linked it, and um, obviously um, it gave her um, a very sort of strong image of what she looks like. Obviously, she's wearing it. Now, yeah. um, the, obviously, I've never I've never seen a sea monster in my life, but um, <laughs> the local, our local octopuses down in the um, – down the beach, yeah, um, are blue ringed octopuses, or at least uh, you know, and we get um, stupid bloody backpackers coming along and picking oh, up. Oh, isn't it pretty? Oh, cute, yeah, little cute little octopus. Oh, look, it's got blue rings. I'll stick it on my face and have a selfie. And the stupid Do you have signs are, up? They're, they're very poisonous. So yeah. if you stick it on your face and take a selfie, you'll probably die. You'll die. Yeah, you know, yeah. So um. Do they so, have signs saying "Don't touch the pretty blue octopuses"? Or? Well, they're not initially pretty blue. They're little. They're literally kind of pretty brown, yeah. little tiny ones, and they're cute. And, and you go, "Oh, scared. cute octopus!" And you pick it up, and then the rings come up mm. all blue. And you go, "Okay, that's probably not a good idea. I think I'll get rid of that." <laughs> and yeah, and um, actually, funnily enough, um, I don't mention it so much here, but probably in book two. Um, we have sea dragons, and we do have sea dragons in um, Are they my, uh, plesiosaurs? In the bay. Plesiosaurs? No, we don't have plesiosaurs. Oh, we have sea dragons, I like though. weedy sea dragons. Scratch weedy sea dragons we have, but they're oh. tiny, though. Oh, I've got a tattoo of one of those. Is that weird? Uh, they're, they're, um, I think they're the marine emblem of Victoria, actually. Oh, great. <laughs> the weedy sea dragon. Huh. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, so that coat basically is, um, is a MacGuffin, and... Right. Um, it's, it just links it there, and um, I think, um, especially with fantasy, because fantasy is so visual in, in a way, you have to really have sort of uh, points where you go, okay, I can see this this yeah. very visual thing. Yeah, it's quite a symbol of sort of what she's rejecting and what she's yeah. accepting and what she's putting on and all yeah. that and taking on, yeah. And mm-hmm. also because it's very um, rare and very expensive, there's that, that idea that um, okay, something's not quite right. Why is this? Why is this very sort of uh, expensive thing hidden? Yes, and no one yep. wants her to have it, which is <laughs> no. no. So they, it gives an excuse for everyone to say, "Oh, you know, you yeah. can't do that. She can't wants, do that. She wants extra." And it's so strong too; like it's practical as well. It's like the ultimate yes, yes. piece of clothing that we all want. Exactly. <laughs> It's the coat that, you know, you sit out there and you go, oh, bloody hell, it's cold. Imagine and you, it, it would keep you cold. It would keep you warm and cool at the same time. I mean, we <laughs> need one of those in this crazy Australian weather. Yes, um, yes. Yes. And I and, think you've brought something quite Australian to it as well. And I don't know how to what that is exactly, but I think there's a richness to Australian speculative fiction and dark spec fic that um, – is really in there, though 
I think it also has a feel similar to a lot of the stories in Clark's world or Apex, so those international stories too. So it's not. Well, I'm just interested you said that because I remember when we were trying to sell it, we were having a, a, a lot of trouble selling it to the American market. They were going, oh, she needs to be more, um, have more agency. And I'm thinking, well, what do you mean more agency? And then, um, so we sell, so we ended up selling to um, uh, Harper Voyager UK. Yeah. But, yeah, but the funny thing, and so I, it was really interesting, an, an early um, draft where they um, they said, See, I had about a, a couple, about a chapter where I'd, I'd gone into the story very simply, and I'd gone to a very, um, you know, uh, delicately, and they yeah. wanted one where no, 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 started at the fight. So the um, ARCs, which are floating around, starts with actually the big fight that happens outside the the pub, and nice. um, I didn't, I didn't. You know, a lot of people found that really jarring to go into and I thought as well but uh, we were trying to sell to the Americans at the time the Americans really love a good crash bang entrance so um by the time we got in there and uh you know people the one the arc that I read she's she just manages to get away is that little yes no no that's the one yeah the one that you read is pretty much the end the the, the one that's going to come out oh right yeah that's good because um you know, it sets up that immediate intrigue. Is like, what is she escaping hey, from? Like, hey. is, why has this uh, guy got her trapped? Like, yeah, that's mm. exactly right. And of course, they the the Americans. Uh, what my agent, my agent was saying, look, I really don't want to. But the girls in the office, you always got to see the girls in the office saying, if you want to sell to the Americans, you've got to come in with a big crash bang entrance. Really? And um, so we had to start with the fight. And, and I went, of, oh, I'm... my God. So, yeah, so the ARCs that are going around, the ones that the, the bound ones with the uh, – it's got a bit of webbing on it. They're the ones with the, the fight on it. And obviously people are going, what the hell is going on? And I was just like, I said, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, and people go, oh, no, she's not uh, – she's got much agency. And I'm thinking she's got plenty of agency. But I'm thinking there's a very certain um, American style of – how people interact with the world, and yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say it negatively, but it, it's very full on. You know, it's you, you plunge headfirst into it. Whereas yeah. I think with England and Australia, you're a little bit more circumspect. You go, oh, okay, how's this working out? And I think I'll, I'll oh, sort of adjust oh, myself to the yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. How you know, um, how it just wasn't going to work for an American market. So, so it's interesting now that I've sold it to the UK under world rights. Um, we're going to talk business now rather than books. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so we sold it under world rights. So um, I'm not too sure now how um, how that kind of works out. I think it's it's available. It may be available to um, America and North America as an ebook right. or. Um, or you can get it as an imported book, or they might sell it to, um, like, sell the rights on for that to um, sub rights basically to another publisher. So, but it was interesting to see exactly what, um, how uh, c- cultural differences basically, you know, you think we're, we're very similar to certain places in the world and we're not. Right, so they and want certain show, things yeah. from their character. Yeah. I mean, she yeah. is a, a very independent character. I suppose she's she's swayed and she's constrained by some things, but you know you see yeah. her fighting against those. Yeah, maybe not always with her fists, but um, <laughs> though she That's is, exactly she she's strong physically too. So um, I think we're more aware of uh, are more aware of our um, constraints. I you know I mm. think with America with the American market, I don't know whether or not they. 
they know it. It's hard to say. I mean, I can't sit here and sort of speak about probably what someone has done a PhD on. So, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. It almost seems like a bit of an insult to the American market to say that they, <laughs> they can't. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But um, lucky dear. So I've worked. I've worked on the book, and it's, so it's coming out in March. And I've got um, a sequel which I've already written. Thank God for that. If you're looking and, for any readers for that, you know, I'm happy. Oh, to well, I might actually. You know, maybe I'll send it along. Yeah, I think you know I will because you know um, I think this is the first podcast. So I might as well. I'll send it along um, yeah. probably later today. And then you I'm can. I'm super keen to read it. Uh, it's it's I'm really happy with it because um like I was talking to you later before the uh, podcast um last year was a really difficult year for me and I had to get this book done and um as you know when you're um, when there's a lot of stuff going in your life it's very hard to to write yeah so definitely. um I uh, it killed me to do it but um I've now looked back at it um because I gave it to the publisher and the publisher saying okay um uh, we're going to start editing it now and I've now awesome. looked back on it. And thinking, wow, this is really, really um, almost in its final form, basically. So, sometimes what, what period that, did you write that in, Claire? Sorry, what? When were you writing that? Were you writing that on the I, cruise that we went? On? Yes, yes, we were writing that on the cruise. Ah. Um, so, I ended up. Um, I started writing it after I sold this book. They said, "Oh, you've got to start writing the next book." Yeah, the next books now because they're probably going to. Um, they're going to set more. deadlines. The deadlines yeah. there are. You get about a year to write it. Yeah. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this deadline. But, and if you uh, can write faster, is that better? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, look, if you sat down and you wrote a book, it, it wouldn't take that long. I think it's thinking about it and knowing where to go. I probably wrote uh, twice as many words that actually appear in there. Like you'll, you'll right. go down one area. I'm very much of a pantser. Yeah. So I'll go down one area and I'm thinking, no, I don't really want this person to go there. So I'll backtrack and then they'll go off down another path. Like yeah. choose your own adventure. Yeah. And, so, um, how much would you write in a sitting, like in a, a couple of hours? Oh, look, I could do yeah. probably about a thousand, two thousand if I was flat out writing. Yeah. And funny enough, I haven't done any flat out writing for um, several months now because yeah. I've been doing a lot of uh, editing yeah. of either either this book or you know once I got the draft down of um, the next book, I had to you know sit down, go through and edit it. Yeah. Uh, to, to to make everything fit. And, um, and yeah, so um, I'm looking forward to doing my sit-down again. I found myself a new cafe, the best cafe ever. Great. The Boathouse in Frankston. Oh, my God, so good. Cool. And uh, it look, overlooks the river. It's got a great view and, you know, the coffee's great. And Lovely. They don't, they don't harass me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So book three is – you're writing book three. Writing book three now, yep. Moment. So I'm about um, – Oh, well, I'm about 50 pages in, so it's, so it's going well. You said you're a pantser. Does that mean that you didn't have an idea of, like, the whole trilogy before you started it? Or? Well, I wrote the first book. I really had no idea how it was going to go. And, of yeah. course, the agent came and said to me, God, my agent Sam, good old Sam, goes, oh, well, you're going to have to uh, do a plan, you know, a, a plan for the next like a synopsis of the next two books. Yeah. And I had to sit down and write that synopsis. And I wrote the synopsis and they're kind of going, ah, maybe not. And because obviously I think they might have been thinking that it was going to be a big romance again. I said, no, 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 it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy horror. It's going to go off in that direction. Yeah. And it is a romance, but um, you'll find yeah. out. You'll probably be the first person to read it after the publisher anyway. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, so, but I go off, and at first it was like, oh, no, 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 no. But then I think um, now, because I was I was really in no mood to be too creative, I found myself falling back on that original plan that I'd invented in, in 30 minutes. Right. And I fell back on it and actually wrote pretty closely to what it was, to what I had actually put together. And it worked really well. Awesome. So, Very exciting because yeah. I know book one ends with, you know, so much left to happen, like. It, it, yes. it really does feel like the beginning of okay. the journey. So. Yes. So, I mean, oh, what happens next? You've got to have that what happens next. Otherwise, if you wrap it up too, too I think, neatly at the end, if you've got to yeah. – there's a difficulty in wrapping up things too neatly is that you go, okay, I don't really need to read on anymore. And then if you if you if it's too much of a cliffhanger, people go, oh, look, I, I'm not even um, fulfilled by this book. Yeah. It's just, it's just left me. It's like you might as well just cut it off halfway and then left it at that. Right, yeah. So it's a bit of a delicate balance, I think. Yeah, to tie some things up but also leave the – like it's still building to the yeah. crescendo. Mm-hmm. Mm, lovely. Um, so I was going to ask like a writing question. Do you have any advice for writers? What would your advice to writers Oh, be? advice. Well, um, I know you did email me this and say I was going to get asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, warn. I forewarn people. Okay, yes. One of the things that I find is that um, especially when you're on the road and you're doing and you write a book and then you try to get it published a lot of times it a lot of times, especially first books, it might not be the time in your life when you are meant to write that book. Yeah. Like I've written some things that in the past that um, weren't uh, part of my I wasn't ready to write that book just yet. So yeah. they do get to you, it is good to revisit something you've written um, sometimes years later and going, oh, okay, I could see where I wasn't – I was falling down yeah. um, in a certain thing. Yeah. And But I'm thinking now, especially with self-publishing, it's so easy. I've got a lot of people who are saying, oh, blah, 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 this book hasn't sold. I'm going to self-publish it. Right. And so they'll sort of dump it onto the market and um, – and it's very um, unfortunate because uh, obviously it's it's you're, you're then not able to take that book back and, and fix it up yeah. or revisit it because you've already you know put it out there. Yeah. And I would say to people, you know, don't be so hung up on getting the work published if it's a good work, but you haven't been able to find a publisher for it. Just hang on to it and. Um, and, you know, do the next thing. I Don't mean, that's that's my thing. Some people are desperate to be, ah, oh, desperate to have a book with their name on it. Yeah. And I think, oh, it's so bad, just go to Officeworks and, you know, print something up. There you go. Because yeah. um, I've, uh, you know, because I've seen a few friends and people who um, who really rushed to self-published and if you're going mm-hmm. to do it right, um, it really requires that you have to have several books. Um, you have to have your marketing all set up. You have mm-hmm. to have money that you're going to spend. Um, so everyone that's, that's really um, succeeded in, in self-publishing has done it over several books, um, uh, proper release schedules, um, yeah. proper marketing, etc., etc. And you just can't go, oh, my first book didn't sell. I'm just going to dump it on the. I'm just going to dump it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah it looks like. Um, I mean, being a self-published author, but even I think yeah. being a, a traditionally published author is a full-time job, like mm. all the marketing and – but um, when you're self-published, you're carrying all the weight of having the standard being yeah. really high. Um, yeah, yeah. One such writer like it- who I'm going to interview um, in the next few days probably is 
Ike Flintheart. Like, I think she's done she does. She does a lot of, yeah, a lot of self-publishing um, there. To create a really high-standard product. I know. Know. And the thing is that um, you have the, the idea of blurbs, and the blurb is where you have an author says, oh, you got to read so-and-so, they're really good. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I think the best blurb might be is that when you've got um, a big publisher behind you because basically it says, okay, someone has gone and staked their whole career yeah. on you not writing a shitty book. Yeah. And um, I, and I kind of wonder, you know, um, whether or not uh, – like, I, I'm, I'm all for hybrid publishing. I think that's great. Yeah. You know, but I think – I wonder if by um, self-publishing, you know, how, how much of a market you're missing out on. Because, um, yeah, because yeah, when I choose a book, like when I choose a book to read, I've got so little time to go through stuff and um, I've got so little time to – uh, so I'll usually do something either my friends have recommended yeah, or it looks like it's been, you know, traditionally published. So obviously somebody who – from a, a publisher and you've liked their previous books, you think, okay, well, they, they do this kind of book because they usually do yeah. a kind of book, then I'll yeah. probably like it. But yeah. it's very hard with self-publishing. I'm thinking, am I going to read this and I'm going to go halfway through and then realise I've just wasted my time? Yeah. But you can get that any other way, but it's so hard. It's so hard, I think, for self-publishers as well to – um, they haven't really um, found a way to curate the good ones and the bad ones out. Yeah, that that is the pity about it. Like, there's just such so much out there that it can be hard yeah. to find um, what you're going to like. Like, what are yeah. you going to like? Personally, so and you always seem to know that you wanted a, a big publisher with your work. Yes, I did. I didn't want to go out. Like, I've been offered smaller publishers, and you know, I didn't want to go out with a smaller one. Yeah, I think if you've got a got to come out first you've got to have one product yeah almost a show reel basically yeah. where you say look I've done this I think uh you look at say Tansy Rainer Roberts who does her own she does self-publishers now but she has been published with big publishers so yeah. you know the quality of the work whereas um yeah. uh you're not quite sure I'd always say if you're such a if you're a really good writer um uh and self-publishing, why Why are you self-publishing? Why haven't you put some of that work towards traditional publication? Yeah. Because you do get things like uh, bookshop space. Um, yeah. The reason why, yeah. And, like, the, imagine Kmart or, like, oh, imagine yeah. getting into Target. Like, I just and, think, oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, and I'm talking about big bookshop space. Yeah, not like uh, you go to um, a local bookshop down the road and they'll stock your book because yeah, they, like you're a local. QBD like, or, yeah, worldwide, seriously yeah. worldwide distribution well, and one of the things that you know self-publishing a lot of smaller press don't have is the um the returns because yeah. with distributors distributors you can um put a book out and uh if they don't sell the stock they can return the stock yeah. and um unfortunately um that's not available to uh the, small. the smaller end yeah yeah so, so that's, that's why it. Small, smaller publishers are wonderful like in oh in god I've, I've done a lot of stuff with short stories is absolutely and like what a great way those anthologies like how, how many anthologies have you been in from like so I SFG? don't I can't I can't remember now I've got a long list Keep I know scrolling, next scrolling, has scrolling. got number 92 um the Australia, Australian what's it called <laughs> the best book <laughs> anthologies of like the oh, best yeah. SF and that by Ticonderoga so they do a lot of great work too I, 
do, yeah, I do love, I think short fiction is just great for, that's, that's where short fiction and small presses really shine is, is introducing short fiction. Yeah. And, um, and so I think with long fiction, look, I knew how much work it was going to be. Yeah. And I thought, uh, if I can palm as much as that off to yeah. another to another business, yeah. that would be, Outsource that would be easily, because I hate marketing, oh my God. Yeah. Mm. So interesting, yeah, it's interesting. Look, I've never actually sat down with anyone who's um, solely self-published and been um, completely uh, successful at it without having at least done a run in a larger publisher thing. Yeah, I think, right. Uh, yeah, everyone that I know is, has at least who's who's doing well in self-publishing has at least gone through um, at, at least a, a fairly mid-sized publisher and gone, okay, yeah. this is how it works. This is what I need to do. This is the these are the timelines I need to get. Yeah. I think you can work that out organically, but um, it's nice to have a, a team behind you, I guess. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, Claire, it's been lovely talking to you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope to catch up with you soon. Hope to attend a launch. Do you think there'll be launches at Worldcon um, well, in New Zealand? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Worldcon is a bit bit further on, I think, after. Maybe the paperback might be coming out. Right. Around then. Well, I'll be picking up my copy there, I think, in Wellington. And yes, yes, Wellington. I'm going to make sure Wellington will be selling that. Autographed. And, um, Autographed, yes. Hopefully we'll uh, see you doing some panels and things. I hope so too. I think every man and his dog is asked to do a panel at Worldcon and they just get back to you at their own sweet time. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Well, thanks okay. so much for talking to us today and all the best with Monstrous Heart. Thank you very much.